Pod. I'm Chris Stewart, and welcome to the very first in what we hope is a long-running series of Empire Special podcasts. What would you call them? Retro spoilers, classic spoilers, spoilers from the past. I don't know. Anyway, for years we've talked about the idea of doing a spoiler special for a film that came out before the Empire podcast was born. We batted around lots of ideas. Do we do one for Alien? Do we do one for Back to the Future? Do we do one for any of the Indiana Jones trilogy? And we decided ultimately that we would do one to coincide with Judgment Day, August 29th, today, 2017, not in the film, uh, for Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Uh, and joining me to talk about James Cameron's beloved film is James Dyer. How are you? That was a terrible number. That was it? awful. No, that was terrible. I'm going to do it again. Okay, let's do it again. Uh, Please welcome a renowned Arnold Schwarzenegger impressionist, James Dyer. Hello, James. How are you? Welcome to my podcast. <laughs> I'm not following that. Hi. <laughs> I won't do it. Go on. No. No, do it. I can't do it. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you, sure. build, you build up to it. <clears throat> no, I can't. I'm not as good as you. I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. As good as it gets. Nick Descendants also on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Descendants on the podcast as well. Hello, Nick. Hello. Hasta la vista, Chris. That's better than yours. Thank you. That is better than yours. That's pretty good. Yeah. I'm, I'm ashamed because, uh, James, just to set things up, uh, if you're listening to this, and God knows why aren't you, um, James is a massive Arnold Schwarzenegger fan, has met the man more times than he cares to remember uh, or would like to admit. How many times, roughly? How many times have I met him? Oh, quite a few, actually. I would say four, maybe five times. I was his date to a premiere. That was quite exciting. There you go. Uh, Did he put out? Maybe? Uh, no, but I did go to a special room with him <laughs> where we had a chat before the film started. That's nice. That's oh. a lovely thing. Yeah. Helen O'Hara has arrived as well, our geek queen. From the future. From the future. She has uh, come back to stop this podcast <laughs> from happening. She has seen the terrible things that will happen because of this podcast. Don't do it, guys. <laughs> Listen, we're, we're locked in. It's happening. Uh, how She's are you? She's naked as well. What? Um, no. Oh, James, you've made um, it weird. It's the only way you can get back through time. You've made it weird. What? That doesn't weird. explain why you're naked, James. <laughs> Shush. How are you, Helen? I'm very well, thank you. Good, yes. good, good, good. So over the next uh, 45 minutes or so, we're going to be delving into the uh, the ins and outs of James Cameron's 1991 action masterpiece, which is getting a reissue in cinemas uh, next this well as of today, as of Judgment Day, uh, when you're listening to this, and it'll be coming out on Blu-ray and whatnot later in the year as well. And uh, before we talk about the film in great detail. Uh, James and I recently went along to, and talked to the T-1000 himself, Robert Patrick, and we asked him all sorts of things. Nick thought this interview was boring. <laughs> See what you guys think. I didn't say that. <laughs> Those did. are your exact words. No, why? Look, okay, take that out. You can't put that in. No, we can. We and can, you, it's fun. We can, it's fun. And you did. It's a fun way of segueing into the interview. It's fun. It doesn't reflect badly at all upon you at all. It reflects badly on us, if anything. It reflects badly. It's me insulting Robert Patrick. Who's a friend of I thought it was you insulting us. It's yeah, you insulting it, us. It reads like you insulting them. I wouldn't Okay. Worry. All right. In okay. that case, go ahead. Keep it in. Uh, see uh, what you think. You guys be the judge because we thought he was excellent. Uh, so maybe Nick is reflecting upon uh, James and I, our ability as question askers. Is that a word? It is now. So here we are talking to Robert Patrick to enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the great. Robert Patrick. How are you, sir? Fantastic, Chris. Good, James. Good. Nice to meet you. You too. It's a thrill to be here with you. I, I got to tell you, this is one of the best studios I've been in for a podcast. <laughs> Whatever these guys are paying you, they're paying you too much. 
Uh, we pulled down single-figure salaries. You'd be, you'd be amazed to know. <laughs> no expense spared in this one. This is um, awesome. Uh, so, so, yeah, this is... Uh, Obviously, Terminator Two is back in your life in a in a big way. Never left. It never left. I was going to. It's ask, always uh, it's always had an indelible, uh, huge uh, imprint on my life. Uh, I owe my entire career mm-hmm. to this film. Okay, so it was never a point in your career when it maybe was too much of a burden. Or it's always been uh, it's always been sort of a, a big thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes I've I've. Uh, I've I've battled with it to a certain degree. I've I've wondered if anybody would ever recognize some of the other work I've done, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But uh, uh, I I I would hesitate to say I have a love hate relationship because I think that's too strong. It's just it's something that I'm incredibly proud of, and I don't know if I can ever eclipse it. Okay. Uh, nor should I. It yeah. might be the biggest thing I ever do, but who knows? I'm going to keep trying to uh, come up with something better and, uh, and you know, and keep Absolutely. going. And maybe I'll get another opportunity to do something as equal or great as Indeed. Terminator 2. But you are embracing it. I mean, your, your Twitter handle is Robert I embrace it. T2. At, at a certain point, I just said, you know what? Fuck it. I am who I am, <laughs> and I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to... Why should I try to push myself away from it? I I am what I am, and I am who I am, and I did what I did. So there was a lot of Robert Patricks on Twitter by the time I got on Twitter, because I'm kind of new to Twitter. And my wife, the genius that she is, said there's only one Robert Patrick T2. And that's you, baby. So that's how I got that. Except no substitutes. Acceptance. Exactly. Does it surprise you that now, twenty six after twenty six years after release, it's still considered, you know, one of the greatest films ever? Jim Cameron's. Many people think it's his favorite, best film. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger's best film. I mean, it's such an incredible film. And even looking at it last night when we saw it again, the effects haven't aged at all. It still looks incredible. Yeah, and I'm glad to hear that because uh, you guys, uh, you guys stayed for the screening. I left. I've I've seen it. I saw it in his private screening room. That's the thing. I think. Uh, that's the most gratifying aspect of it is that it holds up that, you know, originally I was, uh, you know, why is this film so successful? Well, it's really the script. He had a great script. He had a great concept and uh, it has so much heart. And I think that's, what's really attractive and appealing. And that's what the audience is responding to. The effects were never, you know, the the gimmick of the movie they were part of the storytelling process so they were used to propel the plot and i think that's why uh people enjoy it so much and i think that's why um the movie stands the test of time as 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 far as uh, uh filmmaking uh you know um if you if you look at it that it's it's such a high level of filmmaking uh the way all the elements are brought together the, the everything about it the the director of photography uh the art direction um the editing i mean it's just it's flawless it's seamless and i think a lot of people you know there are a lot of great directors out there that acknowledge that and say you know it's it's almost a perfect movie if there is such a thing um, the T-1000 is an incredible 
creation in it, as, as Cameron described. Was it the Porsche to Arnold's Panzer tank? Yeah, and it's uh, a real collaborative uh, role. I mean, I can't take sole credit for it either. I can tell you exactly what I did, how I got the role, how lucky I am that I was the face of the the role because he very easily could have made it a, a different face all the way through the movie. Yeah. But he wanted one character that was identifiable, and that was me. And lo, you know, I'm 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 very fortunate as a result. Um, but it's layer upon layer. There's the layer that I bring to it, the the Stan Winston's layer, the Industrial Light and Magic's their 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 layer, and then of course Jim Cameron orchestrating the whole deal. So it's a collaborative effort, and um, it's a character that was uh, you know. Uh, I don't know how many characters, you know, I don't know. I'm not that much of a film historian, but uh, how many characters are CGI, practical, mm. uh, puppetry uh, uh, aspect, and then the human aspect. Mm. Yeah. So there's yeah. such a blend. And you talked last night a little bit about how you uh, sat down with Jim in one of your auditions and improvised a lot of the characteristics of the T-1000, which were then worked into the movie. I mean, my, my recollection of the whole thing of me getting cast was that I I, uh, was told to create an intense presence and I knew enough to slow things down and really look at things and be very deliberate and make my movements very slow and cat-like and and I really went to the animal kingdom quickly and I started thinking about American Indians because they said you're a tracker so I started tracking and sensing and I didn't know but they wanted me to be sense aware and I was just it was just you know I was in alignment everything was lining up and I was perfectly mining these veins of gold that they were looking for and just kept going with it and it was a creatively a very gratifying experience to uh, to do that and unbeknownst to me that I matched what they were looking for physically mm-hmm. And it was a physical reason that I got cast. I think James Cameron has said that. It was a physical thing about Robert that we cast him. Um, the, yep. way, the way I looked specifically, you know, that kind of thing. Um, How much of the sorry. playfulness sorry, was, was yours? Because the bit in particular when he sort of admonishes Sarah for That's Jim. Well, that and that's something that I've thought about. Somebody else asked me too, and you're talking about the, the finger wagging, yeah. not, not, nah. Uh, that we do at the still mill. That's Jim. He put that in there. And he also put the second look at the mannequin, the, the silver <laughs> mannequin. Yeah. Those weren't things I was doing. Because somebody asked me, was is the T-1000 self-aware? And I never approached it that way. Okay. Yeah. But actually, in hindsight, I guess I was. And I don't know if that's good or bad to admit at this point. But, you know, I mean, the, the movie is... Uh, he's, it's been in the can for 27 years, so, you know. Uh, but he put that stuff. But I, I can say, as an actor, I wasn't really thinking that way. Okay. So, so you know. You have this, you have this through line uh, in the movie where Arnold's Terminator is learning to be more human. And certainly the, the finger wagging and the, the fact that he taunts Sarah at the end would indicate to me that he's becoming slightly more human as well. But that's I would, I would guess you're way. right, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of saying that maybe my ignorance to the whole thing was bliss because I was so programmed to be mm. what I was doing that I was kind of oblivious to these little nuances they were given my character. I knew it when I was doing it, but I don't think I actually... I, don't, I can't say that I, 
I was conflicted by it. I, I don't. I wasn't combative of, uh, enough about it to actually mm-hmm. argue and say no. I don't think I should do it. I just did it. I said, yeah, all right, I'll do that. <laughs> so, and those are the moments for me that are the the iconic moments. And uh, uh, you know, was there a distinction for you playing it? before and after the reveal because when you face off against Arnold in the gallery that's the moment where we know that you're the villain obviously if you've seen the trailer you knew it anyway but the way the film is shot you're not sure at that point who's who and the T-1000 seems to have a more of a, an almost conversational aspect to himself prior to that where you think you could be human it's kind of hard to hard to trigger it but it was shot out of sequence so yeah well I agree with everything you're saying from my point of view when I land, when I go and I, I assume the identity, I take care of the cop, and I assume his identity, I immediately go to his computer, I look up John Connor, and I'm on my way. You know I'm somebody. Hmm. You know I'm something. Uh, what am I? You're not quite sure, but there's something weird about me from the get-go. Um, then I find my way to uh, the the foster parents' house, and you see me get out of the car, and I'm a full-fledged cop. And I don't look quite robotic. I look kind of natural. Well, that's, you know, me playing uh, a, 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 a robot, mm. playing uh, human, mm. and trying to be human, and not threatening, and just get information, and and uh, that's that whole scene with uh, the foster parents. You know, Jim, the way he shot me and the way he had me look at look at them and go, I wouldn't worry about him. Again, that's that self-aware stuff that I wasn't really... That's not what I was focused on when I was doing the performance. Okay, Those are things that, 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 you know, he had in there. They were scripted, but, you know, that, that were there. What sort of director is Jim? Is he, he someone who gives you? Does he? He's a very secure. Collaboratively he's, on he's, set. He's a very secure director. Yeah, which means he's a, he's creatively a secure individual. Which means he takes ideas mm. and he likes ideas. And if you have a good idea and he recognizes that as a good idea, he's going to use that idea. And that happened because once we, you know, I was like focus more on the sense awareness of my character and I liked all the dance movements of it and there was a scene where I go and I actually find uh, I go search John Connor's room and find uh, letters from his mother from Pescadero State Hospital and they wanted me to kind of go in there and rip the room apart and I kind of sold Jim on the idea of I think I'm kind of just my hands are like supermarket you know readers and i i'm gonna just feel my way through it and sense where he is and lo and behold i sweep this wall and then i feel the hole in the wall and rip down the poster and inside that's where i Mm. wanted to be that he no disturbance just sort of i thought that would go with the fluidity well he loved the idea and I, i was so uh, gratifying and rewarding to me. It was early on in the film, and he let me do it, mm-hmm. and never shot it the other way. And I knew that. Well, gosh, you know, I'm working with somebody that uh, creatively, he's he's very secure who he is, and uh, and 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 not threatened by other people's ideas. Yeah, and I think that only makes him a better filmmaker. Having said that, uh-huh. he is specific to what he wants, and and he's going to get what he wants from you. 
he is he's the kind of guy I liken him to a coach or something like that. He's not gonna allow he's not gonna let you be mediocre. <laughs> not in the Jim Cameron set. No. You're he's not looking for mediocre. He's looking yeah. for excellence. He's looking for excellence from himself mm. and from everybody around him. And he's gonna push himself and everyone around him to get that. And I think that if you look at all his films, there's a consistency to that. It's an elevated form of filmmaking, and um, it's why they're m- memorable. And I just think that's the way he is. I think that's the way he is in his private life and and um, in the endeavors he done. I mean, look, you know, he, how many people do you know that's been to the deepest spot in the ocean? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Almost he's none. Not, he's not settled for. He's not settling for an average life. He's, no, he's pushing not. himself for an extraordinary life. There's there's an old. Um school of thought or a saying about Jim Cameron that he can do everyone's job on the movie set almost better than they can or, or better than they can. Is that, is that true with actors? Is he, is he a, is he a hidden actor or a, you know, when he's working with you or Arnold, does he, does he give you line readings? Does he, does he show you very physically what he wants from you guys? Yes, but I don't know if I would go so far. I think, I think maybe I, I don't want to. I I can tell you he would give you line readings, or mm-hmm. he would give you. Uh, you know, he would try to get you to. Uh, you know, to get the performance he the way he would see it, but I do think he sort of acknowledges that he's not an actor. <laughs> he, has one, he has one weakness. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I I'm not. I, I just I think he realizes that's maybe not his strongest thing. That's not that he doesn't know how to get a great performance out of people because, uh, and I, I don't mean that as a, a a negative thing. I think he can do all the other practical aspects. You know, the math, the engineering, mm-hmm. those things. He's you know, you're dealing with a genius for Christ's sake. And I think there's, you know, when you've got a IQ level as high as he must have. Mm-hmm. I'm making an assumption. I know enough to know about geniuses because of my TV show that you've got a lower, yes. <laughs> you've got a lower emotional quotient EQ. So uh, uh, you know uh, that would lend itself into the acting thing not being his forte. Absolutely. Absolutely. How's that for a save? It's very good. And and also, by the way, Scorpion is on again in the autumn uh, or the fall. Uh, so we'll get... We'll, we'll yeah, Scorpion's on, Scorpion's, Scorpion comes out. We're, we're going into our fourth season. We're covered all off. It's I learned that from Arnold. You always bring things back to the show you're doing. Amazing. One of the directions I think you had in this film was to not blink. Is that... Because you, you never see... They, well, I think it's one scene where you see your character. Yeah. That, well, that was... That was something I came up with that Jim reminded me of. I'm going to say, I, I wanted me, I wanted just to be focused on the target. And I knew that it was very, uh, machine like to not allow yourself to blink. So the thing I was focusing on was with the weapons where I was really trying not to blink when I was shooting the Beretta and I was rapid firing with the Beretta mm. and dropping that magazine and keeping my eyes focused. Cause you have to remember what, what I was doing whenever anything was happening in front of me, I was always throwing my look to where I was going, 
not what was there. So when I like the scene with the bars, like where I had to walk in and find this mark and I had to get my nose like right on this spot. It was like, you know, if you're a fraction of an inch off here or you're just an eighth of an inch off here and you got to find that mark and you got to find that light. But you, I can't walk up there looking like this. I got to be looking like that. You know what I mean? Mm. So those are the, that's all part of the performance. And, um, you know, that's what I focused on, those aspects of it. Um, and I'm going to say that I kind of built that in, but Jim would remind me of that. And he'd also remind me that, you know, he didn't want a personality or a charisma with it. He didn't want a, a an effort. He wanted things to be effortless. And, you know, the run was I breathed through my nose as opposed to, you know, gulping air. I couldn't oh, really? do anything okay. like that. I had to, yeah. you know, clench my jaw and yeah, and just run, you know. And so those were the things. And those little things are the things that make it the that, thing. That's so iconic, the T-1000 run. It's sort of this indefatigable gazelle. You know, he can't be slowed down. He can't be stopped. Yeah. He continues that momentum, that yeah. relentless quality he has. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was going for. The, the only thing I had to sell was... Uh, the intensity of the fact that I'm on your, pers- I'm, pr- I'm in pursuit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the performance. That's it. And so everything was geared that way. As a matter of fact, <coughs> Jim was, when we leave the uh, Pescadero State Hospital, big chase scene, mm-hmm. elevator, <coughs> they get the car and I'm running after it. I do remember him saying to me, they gotta, these hits have got to slow you down. And I'm like, well, they are. But we got to feel like they're at least, otherwise, you know, we're not going to believe that they're slowing you down. You've got you've to slow you down. There was this fine line between allowing it to slow me down but staying in pursuit. Yeah, of course. And I was so goddamn determined to stay in the pursuit that I wasn't, allowing things to slow me down enough you know and he you know he, we have to make the audience feel like they're at least keeping you away from them and that this is working to a certain degree so mm-hmm. it became this big thing of me taking the hit and there's a way i wanted to take the hit to make it look fluid like the fluid was receiving it the 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 path of least resistance was was that was the deal was not resisting mm-hmm. to absorb the energy of the bullet regenerate myself back to my core and keep going and not losing a stride wow and he was saying you got to allow it to slow you a bit but then it was like regroup and keep going you know so these were the challenges and the things that were going on <laughs> and we would <coughs> you know we would we would we would go from there had you been shown, had, had Jim shown you uh, special effects concepts of what the T-1000 was going to look like before once you started I filming? Got, once I got the role. Okay. Once I got the role, it was like I was given the keys to the kingdom and, and welcomed into the inner sanctuary of, uh, you know, the heartbeat of the movie in pre-production. And I saw the storyboards and I saw everything. And now I had read the script and I realized what I was and who I was <coughs> and how it was all going to work and come together. Yeah. Yeah. And once, you know, I can visualize now what I was doing and, and, um, yeah. So once you know what the bullet impacts are going to look like, there's going to be pools yeah. of silver. It, it yeah. does help you, I guess. Exactly. And we we're all discussing that. And like, you know, I can remember conversations with Stan Winston, like, you know, like how a rock goes into mud. Yeah. That's, that's what we're going for. You absorb it like that. It sort of, 
boom, and it you know craters out. Okay, cool. I got that. <laughs> so what would that feel like to take that? You know, those were the those were the things uh, yeah. that you know we all were uh, in discussion with. I think too. Now this might be folklore, but I heard. I think it might have been Jim. They kind of coming up with the sound of the hits was actually dog food coming out of a can. <laughs> yeah, and also that um, that noise I make in the liquid metal is actually Jim Cameron making that. Yeah, the screaming. That's yeah. him Amazing. doing that. The Foley artistry actually all through the film is absolutely incredible. The what? The Foley artistry, the sound effects yeah. are amazing. Yeah, it was really neat. And, and, yeah. and again, going back to that thing where he's a, a very uh, creative individual who's uh, uh, allows for, you know, whatever's going to work and what's going to work best. And it can be, yeah. you know. Just the, you know, the sound Dog food of the coming uh, out of a can, yeah. absolutely, or the sound of the T one thousand footsteps changing whenever he's yeah, someone yeah. else's security guard yeah. at Pescadero, and he changes yeah. back to you, and the, yeah. the footsteps change. It's uh, and thank God, it's fantastic. You know, thank God, it always changed back to me because <laughs> again, again, it could very yeah, well have gone the other way. You know, I mean, you know, there was that whole part of me that the insecurity of my own self that I was worried I was going to get fired. You know, like oh God, it, it, it's, it's just going to happen. Please don't let it happen before Christmas. You know? No. When did you realize you weren't going to get fired? About week seven, halfway, week eight? About yeah. halfway through, I think. <laughs> I finally calmed down and realized I might I might make it through the end of the movie. And then I got a little bit cockier and cockier as time went by. But yeah, man, I was a yes sir, no sir, son of a gun Absolutely. from the get-go. And the, the movie at the time was famously the most expensive ever made. And you had just come off Die Hard 2, which at that point was the most expensive movie ever made. Ever made. Well, uh, I've got a thing. I've got a, I've got, I've got a thing for sequels. <laughs> and I've got a thing for uh, 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 expensive, expensive films. So I've got good taste. Die Hard 2 is uh, an incredible film. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Rennie Harlan's a great guy. He cast me on the spot. Wow. And I just saw Jackie Birch, the casting director from that recently, and uh, we were talking about that. And uh, that film helped me get uh, T2. Amazing. Because Jim could see what I looked like on screen yeah. in, a, in, a, in a big way. Did, uh, did T2 feel <clears throat> like, when you're, when you're on the movie, obviously as Arnold was the biggest movie star in the world at that point, Jim was huge as well. Did, did it feel like it was a huge deal from the inside, that the world was yeah. watching this movie? It, it, I, it, the whole time it was very exciting. Again, I'll go back to, uh, you know, this film for me is a very emotional thing. It's a very, uh, it's, it's a huge thing for me in my life, and it's a, a, a big deal. And when I got the role, it was a big deal, and, and I was so excited about it. I couldn't tell people about it. Uh, I knew it was going to be big. Um, you know... Uh, it was a fun secret to have. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait for people. I could tell them that I was, you know, I was in this big movie, and uh, my family was all excited about it. And uh, yeah, it was a big deal, man. It was a big deal. It's still a big deal. Absolutely. It's twenty-seven years later. We're still talking about it. And it's, it's. Uh, I, you know, the, some of the comments I heard from Twitter last night mm. from your, uh, mm. um, you know, showing the film. There was one person that had never seen it. Yeah, it's amazing. This was their first time seeing the film. Young people, eh? And what a <laughs> what a way to see it in 3D. And now that's their first impression of the film. And I, they were blown away by it. Mm. 
So uh, it's going to reach a whole new audience and yeah. introduce me to a whole new generation of people. Yeah. Naked Robert Job Patrick. security. <laughs> Naked Robert Patrick in 3D. Yep. Yep. Well, I think they digitally, uh, <laughs> they digitally uh, took care of uh, something that happened to be visible in the original theatrical <laughs> film. Uh, I've been, it's been brought to my attention. Okay. I'm okay. sure they cleaned it up for this version. I'm, I'm sure they did. I was quite <laughs> proud of that for many years, because <laughs> that didn't happen when Arnold arrived. So, do you remember Amazing. what you were doing on August 29th, 1997? No, I do. <laughs> I do not know. But if you do, I'm scared. No, I've no idea. I don't yeah, I know what he was doing. He was watching, I do oh, remember watching Terminator 2. Yeah, you were watching Terminator yeah, Cyberdyne Systems became aware. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's Judgment Day. Yeah, absolutely. Checking the yeah, it's such a part of our vernacular now. I mean, hasta la vista, baby. I mean, that's such a part of our... And people come up and say that to me. Like, you know, hasta la vista, baby. And I, I, I got to go, yeah, that's me, man. <laughs> that's, I didn't say that, but I know what you're saying. Do you, it's, do you, it's, it's, it, you know what? I'm at a point now, I'm 58 years old and I love all the attention and I love the fact that people bring the movie up and I'm okay with it. Mm. There was a time when I used to just not be okay with it. Though. I was just like, <laughs> if I hear that one more time, but now I'm like, you know what? Fuck it, man. Like you right. said, yeah. I, I've accepted it on my uh, T2 Twitter handle. Um, it is what it is. Yeah. So you know? two, two more quick questions, Robert, and we'll sure. let you go. Uh, Arnold, we haven't even talked about Arnold. We haven't. Which is amazing. Talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Let's talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger. I read a book about uh, bodybuilding from Arnold Schwarzenegger back when I was living in Ohio before yeah. I'd even moved out to Hollywood. How funny is that? And then you got wow. to beat the shit out of him. And, then, and, then, and, and the, guy was, the guy I worked out with, and, uh, the guy I lived with, we we lived in a uh, we worked out in a gym and he was a bodybuilder, Mister Ohio competition, all this kind of stuff. And I jokingly said to him, "I'm I'm going to go to Hollywood. I'm on my way to Hollywood. I'm going to get into the movie business. I'm a, I'm an actor. Wow. You should come with me because they probably need a new Terminator, the next Terminator. You could be the next Terminator." <laughs> Swear to God, his name is Brad Squires. And if you were, if I were to give you his number and call him up, he would say, I remember, and he calls me Rob, which I hate. He, he would say, I remember when Rob left to go to, to, to Hollywood. And I remember him saying that. It's a true Gee, story. That's incredible. Does he so also it have- was sort of like a predetermined destination, yeah. whether I want to admit it or not. I kind of get wigged out by thinking about that, but. Yeah. Does he have the lottery numbers by any chance, this guy? Because <laughs> no, he doesn't. That sounds that's but, freaky. But but I said that to him. So okay, I said that to him. But anyway, I went out to, uh, to so yeah, I remember. And in the first movie I was doing was doing a Roger Corman movie, and everybody was talking about Jim Cameron's movie Terminator because it was 1984 and the movie had come out. And everybody was saying, yeah, I remember working with Jim back on such such such. And here I was doing this Warlords from Hell. And I'm hearing about this guy and Jim Cameron, and I went and saw Terminator 2. And so Arnold, I was very aware of. And, um, you know, when I met him, I was in awe of him. And uh, he's this, this huge, charismatic individual. Uh, I'd seen the bodybuilding movie Pumping Iron, so yeah. I was aware of his sense of humor mm-hmm. and, um, you know, his psychological warfare on Lou yeah. Ferrigno and. <laughs> That was intimidating, and so I was kind of guarded, and because he likes a prank, I was guarded and really aware of what I was dealing with, and I wasn't gonna, you know, 
I wasn't going to be the butt of his jokes or anything like that. I kind of kept myself at distance. Mm. Don't fuck with me. I won't fuck with you. Leave me alone. Let me do my job. That's how I remember it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know if that's how he remembers it, but because he's in the same in the same respect, though, he was very uh, yeah complimentary and willing to give me a pat on the back when he saw me do something he thought was pretty cool. Because you didn't shoot that much together. But no. I imagine, was he on set quite a lot, even when he wasn't I enjoyed it when he was filming? on set because his on-set charisma is pretty powerful, and mm. to watch him interact, and he's a huge star. I mean, he's just an incredibly confident individual. So it was you know, fun to you know, observe him from a distance. Mm. But I, I didn't really get to know him that much. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we all kind of had a crush on Linda. <laughs> I mean, you know, every one of us, I think. Uh, and Eddie, I didn't, you know, Eddie and I same, shared the same trailer. So I would hear him in there and, and I would, you know, we, I would see him from time to time. But he was in his own world and dealing okay. with the teachers. And yeah. I didn't want to get to know him too much. A little bit of method acting. And he yeah. was, the, you know, the target. And Absolutely. That, that kind of thing. So. Yeah. Eating, I was in my own head. Eating separately. <laughs> I was listening to an stuff. amazing uh, a playlist of music. Oh, really? Such yes, as? I kept myself preoccupied with Ministry, Skinny Puppy, wow. Nine Inch Nails, <laughs> and I listened to that repetitively, and that's all I listened to. Wow. Mary Poppins. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <Disney>. no. <laughs> Skinny oh, Puppy, the right Ministry, oh, wow. and Nine Inch Nails. Well, of course, a T-1000 would be into metal. Uh, heavy, heavy industrial metal. That's right. I'm assuming Norwich Nails Pretty Hate Machine, that album. Head like a hole. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and you know, you, you know my brother uh, was the lead guitarist of Nine Inch Nails. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, really? and he's got a band called Filter that's Incredible. a multi-platinum recording artist. That's my brother. That's my kid brother. Fantastic. Richard the, Patrick. The things you learn. Check him out, bro. The things you got incredible you got, piece of information. You got to Google this shit, bro. I will, I will, yeah, I will. I will absolutely after Google me, I bitch. <laughs> the last thing I want to ask. Sorry you about that. Is a hypothetical. Yes, sir. All right. So you may not be able to answer it, but it, it occurred to me last night that what would have happened? Did Jim ever talk about this with you? What would have happened had the T one thousand completed his mission and killed John Connor? I have no idea. Would he have gone to live in society? Would he be now the president of the United States of America? <laughs> T- what, would the T- what, would have, what would the T-1000 have done yeah. after accomplishing Have you ever thing? thought about that? What he would have gone no. up to? No, I have not. <laughs> I have not. Nor am I going to try to wrap my brain around it to come up with an answer from you, for you right now. I don't know. Would he... Uh, who the fuck knows? <laughs> He's working for Elon Musk at SpaceX right now. There you go. He'd be playing in Nine Inch Nails. He's, uh, he's waiting to yeah. shoot, uh, to, 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 to fly in a, a SpaceX uh, pro, uh, 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 Falcon 9. The world is his oyster. <laughs> That's amazing. Right. On that bombshell, uh, Robert Patrick, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. So that was Robert Patrick, and uh, I thought that was great. Really interesting stuff. It was and, actually a lot less boring than I thought the first time. Really? Okay, good. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, time now to talk about Terminator 2 Judgment Day, James Cameron's masterpiece. Um, do we all think it's a masterpiece, first of all? Why are we in this room if we're, if we're not? It is a masterpiece. I'm not sure it's his masterpiece. Okay. Can a director only do one masterpiece? No, but you can only, like, his masterpiece suggests, like, that's his best uh-huh. to me. Yeah. I don't know. Do you know? Okay. Do you get what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Technically, there was only one masterpiece because that's when you graduated from becoming an apprentice to becoming like a fully-fledged whatever it was. Yes. So it was your masterpiece that made you an 
Anyway, can I, can I go back in time and end this conversation? <laughs> no, <laughs> we may be getting off the topic. I've, I'm excited. I've, I've learned something new. Um, quite, so Helen thinks it's a masterpiece. I think it's my favourite of his films. Um, it doesn't have Arnold riding a horse around a hotel, but otherwise it is perfect. And um, I know James isn't going to agree. But um, yeah, I, it's my favourite James Cameron film. James is not going to agree because... Because Aliens is James Cameron's best film by a country mile. But this is... Without a doubt, his second best film, and it is a masterpiece, and it is spectacular, and I love it. You love it. I do. Okay, fantastic. So um, we, we did get some questions sent in by readers just to spark us off in particular directions, and one that I can't find because I'm an idiot, but I remember it, is uh, people asking when we first saw the film and what our memories of seeing the movie were. Uh, 1991, it came out, much ballyhooed. I remember being on the cover of Empire magazine uh, and uh, previewed as the, trailed as the most expensive movie, the biggest movie of all time. Um so, were you excited about it? Where did you see it? What did you think when you saw it? Had you seen The Terminator at that point? Talk me through it. Nick? Yeah, I, I, my first awareness of it, I didn't see it on the big screen when it came out. Uh, my first awareness was the big cardboard standee of Arnold on the motorbike, which was in my local video store, as seen in Last Action Hero, but with Sylvester Stallone. Really? On the bike. Wow. Remember that bit? Were you True. aware of yep, the, I remember culturally, that. though, were you aware of, the, of Terminator? And- I was aware of it, and I wanted to see it, but I was 11 when it came out, so... Uh, I wasn't allowed to. Really? No, no one could have been unaware of it culturally. I mean, it was absolutely everywhere. It was, I mean, there were, there were drinks, food, you know, toothbrushes. It was <clears throat> terminated everything around that time. The marketing behind that was absolutely incredible. And then you had everything that followed it, like, you know, Michael Jackson's Black or White, everything using the morphing effect. It kind of seeped into everything. Um, I did see it in the cinema, actually. I was old enough, because I'm very old. <laughs> and, uh, yes, I remember I'd just been on holiday in France, uh, and I came back from holiday, and the first thing I did was I went to the Granada Cinema in Harrow on the Hill, and I went and saw Terminator 2, and it was magnificent. And uh, my friend Nick, I remember this very clearly. Not fr- this Nick. Not, not this Nick. No, no, it's not Another me. We're not Nick. friends. No, we, we certainly weren't then, because you probably weren't born. Um, and uh, I, uh, I remember my friend Nick had the film Whisper It. He had a pirate copy of the film. No! He did. Uh, what? This, he had a pirate copy of the film. This was about... Mm, I mean, this wasn't like <clears> while it was still in cinemas. This was probably like a year afterwards. It doesn't remember, matter. If your piracy so is a long, crime, do not accept it. Absolutely. Uh, but it was... You know, they used to take so long to come out in video. And I remember he had it. And it was the worst... I mean, at one point, a guy walks in front of the camera. You know, it was one of those really <laughs> dodgy... That was Arnold Schwarzenegger, man. Yeah. He was meant to do that. <laughs> <laughs> He's the star of the film. It was terrible. But it was still... It was still Terminator 2. And I remember watching it around at his house and just being like, this is amazing. And you've seen Terminator? I had seen it. I'd seen okay. Terminator, uh, and I, I hadn't seen that in cinema. Obviously, I'm not that old. Uh, <laughs> but I'd seen... I Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I liked it lots. It was it was very exciting for me. Very exciting. Hell's Bells. I would have seen it on uh, VHS. Um, okay. Almost certainly. I didn't see it in the cinema because, again, I was too young. I wasn't allowed to go see that kind of film at it's that 15, time. though, wasn't it? Wouldn't you? What age would you have been in 1991? You'd have been, what, 13? Oh, my goodness. How dare you discuss my age on the podcast? <laughs> I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Uh, you'd have been seven. I'd, I'd have been, like, Six, three. Seven, three. three. You weren't even born at the time. <laughs> All right. Um, no, but I, I did. I, I didn't go to see it in the cinema. I went to see it on, on well, VHS at that point, not even DVD. Um, I think... I possibly watched it at the Browns' house, but I don't remember for sure. I remember <laughs> shout being out to with, the Browns. If you're a Brown, can you please write in and confirm? Yeah, hey, hey, Aaron. Uh, no, I think I might have watched it there because I remember definitely watching Robocop there, and I think we double billed it. Ooh, 
good underage double bill. Yeah. I like it. Uh, I saw it at the Banbridge Cinema, the Ive Cinema in Banbridge. Uh, I I think I was either of age or just about to come of age. Uh, I had seen the Terminator. I endured that awful, that awful moment where you know you're watching a film with your parents because my parents were quite laissez-faire about the films I saw on VHS when I was a kid. Uh, so I saw the Terminator in VHS, and you get that moment where you're watching the film and it's quite violent, and your dad's going along with that, and everything's fine. People are having their heads blown off and stuff, all good. And then the boobies come out, and you're like thrust into a world of uncomfortableness, <laughs> and you're just, oh, this is not good. I don't know. <laughs> What is bring the killing back? <laughs> yes, um, and your dad is kind of going. Well, this will be over soon. And T <laughs> two felt quite edgy though, didn't it? For a, for a, I know it's a fifteen rather than eighteen. Like the first film was an eighteen, but yeah, there's some stuff in it. Even though he doesn't kill people in this one, the good guy. But no, the eye spiking was the scene that always yes, that kind of that, that shot brutal. where the the, the spike mm. is going through his eyeball and into his brain, and that was the scene where I was like, oh god. And when Todd um, gets like slammed, you know, skewered to the cupboard as well. That's that's the milk, yeah, for the carton of milk. Put me yeah. right off milk, that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the, the, I'm not the, sure the milk was really to blame there. Put me I off being like, ice spiked as well. Do you know what's funny? Like, yeah. Terminator 2, just for me personally, on a, on a kind of an emotional level, is the most blockbuster film of all blockbusters. Like, nothing for me feels as larger than life, as epic, as big in scale as that does. Independence I think Day. No, no, much more so than that. I think it's because of when I saw it. But also, just if you look at, uh, if you look at just the expanse of Terminator 2, the amount of set pieces, the amount of action, the fact that you could take any one of the, whatever it is, five or so massive set pieces and stick it at the final act of any action film and it would be better than what they've already got. You know, it's absolutely incredible and the pace is completely relentless. And yeah. I have such a, a sort of a powerful sort of like emotional connection to that film because of that, because it, it had a real effect on me as a teenager. We were talking yesterday just about how perfect those set pieces are mm. and yeah. just how well every single set piece, and it's just one after another, and every one of them is just builds up slowly absolutely perfect. and gets bigger and bigger. The, the freeway chase at the end, I think, is my But, favorite. you know, the showdown at the Galleria is absolutely magnificent. And then you yeah. go straight into Pescadero, which is even better. Yeah. And it's just, you know, and then there's the Canalway chase, all that stuff. And, it's and so the, the escape stuff. from the asylum, actually, is, yeah, is that, the one that does it for fantastic. me. That is unbelievable. You know, the cyberdyne assault, the steel mill, like, there's so much to it. There's a number of moments I love and that escape from the asylum I love uh, when the T-1000 turns up and phases through the bars oh, yeah. and he clunks his gun against the bar and you just get these little moments with the T-1000 yeah. just yeah. I want to see a sitcom with the T-1000 like just <laughs> trying to get to grips with human life and what oh, I, I can go through the wall but my gun can't alright that's, that's weird someone sent, me, face. Yeah. someone sent me a re-edit of that scene yesterday that goes on for about four minutes and it's just him trying to get the gun through <laughs> while, they're, while they're running through the parking lot and it just keeps cutting back to him just going <clears throat> it's pretty funny it's a very influential film for me in terms of my running style. <laughs> At school, I would, you know, I would try and run away from the bullies. Uh, in the in the guys in the manner, not the guys, it didn't disguise himself as Robert Patrick. In the manner of the T one thousand, it didn't work. Uh, but I, I I love this film. It, and I, by the way, sorry, just to say on the running style, it, it's yeah. not it's not good for you to raise your knees that high. Like it's it's not worked for him though. Yeah, as as the role, but like long term, that's going to do you damage. So were you chasing yeah. after children on motorbikes? What, what was your? No, I was being chased by by evil rugby types. But you were doing a T one thousand impression. Yeah, because I thought that would make me run faster. Well, I mean, the, the arm movement is fine. I'm just yeah. I'm worried about the knees. That's I would all. cut through the air like a knife with that running <laughs> style. But this this film is uh, fascinating to me, and we'll, we'll get on to the question. In fact, let's ask it right now. Do you think it's better than Terminator? 
one. Well, that's that's say that's taken as a given that it's better than Terminator three, four, and five combined. <laughs> we know that. That's fine. That money is safe. You're going home with that. But is it better than Terminator one? It's a very different film from Terminator one. You could, if you were in the anti-Terminator two camp, which obviously none of us are, accuse this film of being bloated in some way, in a way that Terminator 1, which is really lean and mean and gritty and feels very lo-fi, isn't. I prefer Terminator 1 as a piece of drama. So do I. I do. I think it's just, it's, I mean, you were, we were talking about the propulsion here and the build here, but Terminator 1 does not stop and it's just got that sense of pursuit and that sense of dread the whole way through. It's much more of a horror kind of a movie I think than Terminator 2, although that still has the scary edge. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I just love the simplicity of it. I love the fact that it hadn't gotten so complicated that you knew exactly who the bad guy was from minute, well maybe <laughs> not one, but you, you figure yeah. it out pretty quickly. Um, and it also gets bonus points for a young Michael Bean. <laughs> James and I were having this conversation actually just a little sidebar about uh, who you know who the bad guy is from the off and you were saying that this movie is designed so that an audience going into it with no knowledge of yeah. the previous movie mm-hmm. or uh, the marketing or who Arnold Schwarzenegger is or any of that stuff if someone walked into this film completely cold that the film is designed so they would not know who the bad guy is out of the, the is a T eight hundred T one one one. That's clear. This up. It's a T eight hundred is the model, and CSM one hundred one is the Arnold face. One hundred one. <laughs> I'm just remembering the Arnie and the Terminators. If you haven't oh, already seen them, Steve Wright. Yeah, go to YouTube <laughs> and do a search for Arnie and the Terminators and watch their top of the pops performance. It's amazing. Which is After you listen to this podcast, it's astonishing. Uh, but okay. more than just because so, of what you're saying, I think more than that, it's not just people who who haven't seen the first one. It's if you have seen the first one, it's deliberately misleading. Yes. Uh, you know the T one thousand arrives naked for no good reason because he's made of metal um, and you know at no point you see him like you don't know if he's killed the cop could have just knocked him out just punched him in the stomach you know he's quite innocuous up until that point where you see them both walking towards each other in that corridor in the gallery he's attacked a cop yeah, but they're both quite menacing. You've seen them attack yeah, a police and, officer. And, and, and being in the first one, and being yeah. in the first one, yeah. did something similar yeah. to get some clothes. Like he was, yeah. n- he was not immediately, obviously, definitely the good guy in the first one. But but being in the first one had, a, had an air of desperation about him that he was some sort of cornered rat in a way. Uh, and Arnold was frankly going around killing people and punching his fist in them and ripping mm. out their guts and and whatnot. And, and he doesn't do that in this movie. He demonstrably doesn't kill anyone. And there's something about, do you feel that the Terminator in this movie is already detoothed in some way? I mean, he literally is. Yeah. I think, look, this is my long-running long argument that every single bad guy who sticks around for enough sequels will become the good guy. And this is almost... Either you die a hero, or no, you die a villain, or you live, or you live long enough to, to say to the the hero. become the hero. And that really kind of maybe st- I may I may be wrong, but that was if not started, certainly popularized yeah. with this heel twist in this film. That's interesting. But did you know? Yeah. Did you know going in that Arnold was a good guy? Yes, because the marketing campaign was all-consuming, and I think yeah. if they hadn't had that campaign, you would have possibly been thrown by that, and it would have been an amazing bait and switch. Yeah, uh, but no, the, I mean the marketing was based around the the effect shots so you saw the yeah, T-1000 yeah, yeah. doing stuff and that's you know so yes we did know we did know what he was going to be but that's I mean it's a fantastic sequence that because John doesn't know he's looking between them and it's just like he grabs him and get down and sucks up all the bullets it's yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I had it ruined for me by the lyrics of Arnie and the Terminators <laughs> really <laughs> on top of the pops oh man nightmare 
That sucks. That sucks. Um, I think the Terminator is. It, it, they're both fantastic films, but you guys are in the Terminator Two is better camp. I think it's camp, a better film. But then I like the way Cameron approaches sequels. He doesn't believe in trying to repeat the same thing again. He did it with Aliens. He does it with this. He believes on maintaining kind of uh, touchstones so people can relate to what they liked about the first film, but taking it in a different direction and offering a different experience. So you know, Aliens is a platoon movie where Alien is, is a very specific horror film, and again, this like you know, Terminator is a horror film. It's uh, it's a stalker movie this is less that I mean there's an element of that to it but that's not what this is mm. um, you but, know and, it's, and also it's a 15 not an 18 and that has a, a mm. clear difference in the tone as well but I think culturally a lot had changed obviously between Terminator and Terminator 2 at some point Arnold Schwarzenegger became the biggest movie star yeah. in the world literally as well, as <laughs> well yeah. yeah unless we forget Terminator was made for like peanuts and yeah. this was the most expensive movie ever made at that point so yeah a very different undertone. Yes. I think I, I think it's pretty much a perfect sequel. It just builds on, you know, you get lazy sequels, but this does something mm-hmm. clever with every element. And yeah. it's not just the Terminator, but Sarah is amazing. Her transformation between the first film and this is so effective and interesting. And the fact that as she becomes more like the Terminator, he becomes more like the paternal figure. And you get to that, that wonderful scene where she's become the killer and he's the one who's essentially babysitting her son and looking after him and playing games with him and being Mr. Nanny. And it's, mm. there's a lovely parity to that. She's fucking hardcore in this She's film. amazing in yeah. this. Uh, so she trained with, was it... Not Mossad, but the like Israeli kind of, army yeah, or yeah, something, yeah, yeah. special forces for like six months before the film. It's uh, again one of those early kind of serious physical transformations mm. for a role. But then you know you don't mess with Linda Hamilton; <laughs> she's awesome. She um, really, I do I, have one issue with this sequel, though, in terms of it being a perfect sequel, um, which is the the timeline. And the timeline at the end of this film makes l- no sense. None whatsoever. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't work. And uh, you have to. I think they've tried to explain that, and they've tried to embrace this paradox in all the Terminator films since. And that's what's broken all of them, because if Terminator Two in any way succeeds in the big mission that they set for themselves, then nothing else makes sense at all. Because Kyle Reese never comes back in time. John Connor is never born. Therefore, the events of Terminator Two never happened. Therefore. Kyle Reese does come back in time, therefore Terminator 2 does happen, etc. It's a complete, it's a complete, Doesn't this become a grandfather paradox versus trousers of time, depending on which model you're using? It's a massive grandfather paradox, but the trousers of time can't quite solve it. And we, we get into this weird inevitability where the film keeps saying there's no fate but what you make it, but the films beyond it keep saying, no, well, actually, yeah, there has to be a fate, like there has to be... Skynet and the war against like this seems to be an inevitability and all you can do is maybe change Mm. the start date you have however touched on my only real issue with this as a sequel which is the there is no fate but what we make for ourselves it's the message that was not in the first film that dialogue at no point appears in the original Terminator, and that bugs the shit out of me. Yeah, but you could have told her when he was. Like, I know, a, I know. A but it's a bit like he or... does make a speech that just isn't it. Maybe during the sex scene. Yeah, well, perhaps it was still at all. <laughs> Sarah, uh, no, oh, stop, stop, just saying, stop. I've got something stop. really important. No fate. Fake <laughs> um, The ginger, the ginger kid's mullet is another. Yeah, thing. It stops it from being yeah, perfect. It's pretty bad. It's the only thing that dates the film. Absolutely, yeah. and you could be mine possibly a little bit as well. And uh, the ATM business with the hacking into the yeah. ATMs with that ridiculous <laughs> like cyan personal yeah. organizer, and the fact that he's playing Afterburner in the arcade, and the old school Pepsi <laughs> Pepsi logo. But um, I mean, it's dated incredibly well. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's in the 
you know, the, I think the effects of the T1000 effects have dated incredibly well. Speaking of which, yeah, they have things. So this has obviously been re-released in 3D. It's been remastered and 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 whatnot. Um, when we saw this, I picked up on the two changes that were made, which I was quite proud of, which I pointed out to, to, to Cameron, and Robert Patrick confirmed them as well. So uh, if you watch the, the remake of this, there's a couple of places where they arnify the stunt doubles. Uh, there's a couple of places where the stunt double is so spectacularly not Arnold. And it wouldn't have been a problem when it was originally shot in film, but but obviously now it's in you know HD and 4K even. It's incredibly obvious it looks nothing like Arnold. So there's a bit on the bike in the canal chase, there's another bit later on, and they've they've composited Arnold's face onto the stuntman to make yes. it more obvious. And also the famous continuity error with the truck, when it comes off the kind of overpass and it crashes into the canal, uh, the, uh, the windscreen of the truck falls out, you see it fall out, and then the next shot is a T-1000 pushing the glass out. So continuity issues, so they fixed that as well. This okay. is um, Continuity Corner with James <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> Those are the only... But no, but this is an interesting point. Like, he had the opportunity here to go back and change anything about that film. Anything you liked. Yeah, he could have George Lucas it. Yeah. That's what he changed. This is a film that has 42, 42 effect shots in it. 42. I love that sometimes... The average film has like 1,400. Yeah. And well, now, I, lo- I, love that, I love that some of the, scene, the shots of the T-1000 in the, in the hallway in the Galleria when they're having their fight and he's just shot him. They actually did that practically. Yeah. You could yeah, see that he's just effect. literally got a thing stuck mm. onto yeah. his... Yeah. He like could have gone back. He could have done a Lucas. You know what I mean? He could have kind of, he could have changed anything. He could have fucked about with it. And he, like me, looked at it and thought, you know what? This film's fucking perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't change it. But it's I true. Really yeah. I love that. I love that uh, that stunt in the in the alleyway chase. Uh, it's not really an alleyway. What is it? Just used canal. What is yeah, it? It's, it's actually something that's an alley. Yeah. Isn't, isn't it the LA River? It's like yeah, you can actually drive I mean, down it. It's called the LA River, but yeah. you see loads of car races and drag races yeah. and movies happening there. Yeah. Of course, the space shuttle landed somewhere in that system in the core, in yeah. the core mm-hmm. which I think we all remember being a film that happened. That's a that's that unobtainium. That's film. our next uh, retro spoiler special. By the way, we're going to be going doing the core. I, I love that. I love the chase because. Um, of that stunt it's Peter Kent isn't it on the bike the Arnold stunt double I believe it is hmm? I'm looking at you as the Sorry, arbiter of all uh, what were you saying Peter Kent is the stunt double oh, I did, yeah, yes actually I think okay, you're right. so, but it's that great stunt where literally it could only have been him because if, if they misjudge that by like a second as the, the truck is fearing in towards him to pin against the wall if they misjudged that at all and it had been Kent shish kebab yeah. so yeah not good but it's when like when he first jumps in you could always tell it wasn't Arnold and when he pulls John off his bike and onto the Harley again it mm. clearly wasn't him I just love the um, momentum in the chases in, mm. in, in this movie uh, I love the little things like the coolness of this movie I mean I, I love the grittiness of the first Terminator but there's something really sleek and serene in a weird way about mm. Terminator 2 Especially the Cyberdyne sequence. I think there's something yeah. about that. It's unlike anything in any other film, I think. Just yeah. the way they shoot that building at night with the helicopter and all the police outside. There's just something like amazing about how it looks. Mm. Um, I, and that chase that goes on. You know, they the, added the, night- the whole top story of that building. Really? Yeah, it's like they added a whole extra story and that's what they blew up. So they blew up essentially the roof of the building. I know they lit an entire five miles of freeway for one shot. One shot of the helicopter chasing the, the truck. Just for one, and they had to get cables from every single studio in Hollywood, from all of the studios, because mm. they didn't have enough. They have enough lights, and that's for one shot. That's awesome. I also love the fact that the T one thousand grows an extra arm so that he can pilot the helicopter yes. and shoot <laughs> his machine yes. gun at the same time. Which is time. not a continuity error; that is a deliberate thing. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, some people, I think, over the years have gone, "Oh, that's a mistake." It's thrown the... away. It's thrown away so quickly that you kind of think, "Is this? Do they deli- deliberately?" Cause Where, they don't there is, on it. however, still a continuity error which he didn't fix, and that is when the T one thousand smashes its head through the front window of the helicopter and sort of 
oozes in there. The next time you see the helicopter fly past the windscreen, it's completely intact. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. Continuity Corner is really fun today. Isn't it? <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, well, you, you know, you'll, need to, you'll need to pull the film from cinemas, scrap the home entertainment release, I and have, fix that shot. I have always had some questions about the the T one thousand. So my assumption was, and this yes, may be completely no. wrong, I'm sure James will tell me. Three and blue. Those are super good guesses. Thank you. Um, when the T-1000 comes back in time and he's naked for no reason and everything else, is that because... Does he come just a nudist covered talent. in... No, but does he have like a layer of skin just for the time travel bit? Well, this this is the question. I don't think he does. I think the impression you're supposed to get is that... I, do you know what? I don't think they ever really address it, but he, he doesn't have any obvious non... Because what does he actually become? He's made of liquid metal, so presumably even when he has skin, it's metal. It yes. might be squishy like skin, but it's got to be metal because he's made of metal. Yeah. So, but does it does it feel like skin? And since he can't make chemicals or complex moving parts, he can only make knives and stabbing weapons. That kind of limits what he can be. So you're saying whenever whenever he is, if he was sitting across from us now, where Helen is right now, yeah. and I was looking at the T1000, he would. It's just a, an illusion. Everything's an illusion about that. So what we're actually saying is that he shouldn't have been able to get through the time I machine mean, at all. He shouldn't have been able to get through the time machine at all. And actually, it's like let's be honest, like it's super difficult to make. Uh, I, I'm I'm not a liquid metal Terminator, honest. Um, but I imagine, okay, mm-hmm. imagine, okay, that it would be quite difficult, even with future technology. You're looking uh-huh. at me suspiciously, but it's fine. Uh. Um, to mimic hair. Well, just like just and ask Odo skin. in Deep Space Nine. Well, exactly. I mean, <laughs> if Odo couldn't do it, how come the T-1000, who's only about, what, 50 years in the future technology-wise, how come he can do it? Perhaps, he's, he's, perhaps. Got, he's got access to Weta's a wonderful uh, library of human hair. Either that or Nicky Sorry, Clark Richard Taylor just popped in for a second. Hello! <laughs> I wrote some fan fiction after I saw Terminator 2 for the first time. And wow. we have it here. It's not, read slash, out it's not slash fic, I, I and promise. And you give me grief for bad <laughs> I wrote, sock. I, never I wrote, wrote about... <laughs> I wrote about a sort of prison that was designed specially for T1000s, but well, the cells cool are made of diamond because it's the only thing hard enough for him not to be able to hack his way out. Can he I just c- go through the bars? Doesn't it just need to be an airtight box? No, it's like literally a, it's a, it's a, a sealed made box made of diamond but, with uh, a T1000 trapped inside. The diamond is quite um, brittle. It's probably the geekiest thing I've ever done, apart from the Gremlins board game I made. Have, oh my God. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Have you ever done the, uh, the Terminator 2 experience at Universal Studios? No, but I did it at... Uh, I, no, no. Sorry, I'm thinking of aliens. Uh, Where they have a they have a T one million. Hang on, didn't we do it? In <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. Chris, yeah. Chris and I did Japan? it in uh, yeah, Universal yeah. Studios Japan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, there was a in Osaka. There was a Japanese uh, Terminator. Two two Japanese Terminators. Which was the first time Terminator two appeared in uh, in three D. Uh, yeah, wow, you're be. full of great information today. <laughs> I'm just that's saying. A, that's a solid fact. Solid fact. I think that's, Nailed I it. I think that's a good fact. Uh, no, I like that. It's fun, isn't it? Because Cameron came up with a story for it and I think shot some yeah, of it. Yeah, he did it all. He did it all. Well, that's that's the, the, well, that's the fir- but it's interesting because that's what got him into 3D. That's the first time he ever did anything with 3D and that's mm-hmm. why he thought, oh, this is quite cool. Maybe I'll do something about this in the future. That's good. Not as good as the Shrek one, but still <laughs> good. It's quite fun, that, uh, that 3D experience. It's quite good. And what were your other questions about the T-1000? 
Was that basically that it? Was that was basically it. But it's just like it's one big mega question. Like, did he have a layer of skin that they just sort of like folded over in like Spider-Man's suit so he could get through the time thing and then he was able to mimic that? Or does he keep like a little skin ball inside him or something that he can then just kind of spread out over You'll himself? have to read my fan fiction. <laughs> in the, uh, I'm selling it after this podcast. Just to uh, to be particularly nerdy, uh, in the Dark Horse Terminator comic from the, I want to say, uh, late 80s, early I'm 90s. so glad you're here. One of the Terminators actually stashes uh, like a plasma pistol inside his abdomen, goes back through time and then pulls it out of his stomach. Well, uh, the, doesn't wow. the T, uh, T3, doesn't she do that? Does she do that? I think she has a bunch of stuff inside. Oh, don't she? I have a phased plasma rifle in the 40 watt range. That's right. <laughs> um, what, how do we feel about, because uh, this is interesting, because the remaster of this, the 3D version, is the theatrical version of the film and not the special edition mm-hmm. version of the film. Theatrical uh, all the way. I'm absolutely with you. Yeah. So we don't have the bit where Old age makeup. they do the little bit of hacking on the Terminator's CPU. Mm-hmm. And Sarah tries to smash it with a hammer. And That's so quite a good scene, actually. Which is interesting because it's the first time he takes charge and starts telling her what she, you know, he's the, the first elements of him being a leader start to come through. So you get that in there. But more importantly, you don't have the shitty ending uh, where you see old woman Sarah and sitting on a park bench. Yeah, at the park, basically, pushing kids on the swing. Um, when I interviewed Cameron, we talked about this a little bit. Um, and uh, you can read that in the issue of Empire that is still on sale. There you go. Wow. Oh, that's good. This good. has been Shameless Synergy. Promotion Corner shameless with James Dyer. Yeah. Um, but good. no, it's interesting because when they when they test screened the film, uh, he said everyone loved it. He said people not only hated, they fucking hated the ending. Like the cards were terrible for the ending of the film. Uh, it's like nobody wanted to see Sarah Connor in old woman makeup. And he said he kind of learned that you can have a, an actress or an actor in old person makeup if you introduce them earlier in the film. You can't just whack them in the last one minute. That's ridiculous. Uh, and he said also tonally it doesn't work because the whole film has a slightly sort of somber pessimistic feel and then you've got this ridiculous upbeat ending in a park but we also um, uh, we also lost uh, very sadly the scene where Arnold tries to smile the Terminator tries to smile yeah we do lose that which one. I actually really like you, you, also lose, that, you would also that? lose a Michael Bean scene is that yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah. There's, yeah Michael Bean's one scene in the film when he yeah. appears to her in a dream and as someone um, who was really you know, like because I first saw the Terminator and then Aliens I was a massive Michael Bean fan at the time I just thought he was fantastic yeah. I thought he was like the I thought he was Bruce Campbell to James Cameron's Sam Raimi. Other <laughs> other other actor director partnerships are yeah, available. Just a couple. But um and I was slightly disappointed that he wasn't in Terminator 2 all for obvious reasons of course. And then mm. you see the the sequence where he does show up and it's it's a bit it's a bit rubs, isn't it? Um, I'm going to say something controversial here. I, I was literally in the middle of my anecdote. Can I kind of finish it? Yeah, of course you can. <laughs> I thought you had finished. No, you there's stopped. more to this story. Was this you pointing? So was this anecdotes. an anecdote about you pointing out continuity errors to James Cameron? <laughs> no, 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 no. You are all continuity bastards. Um, right, you cons indeed. <laughs> Look, no, I'm going to say so. Going back to the ending, the ending. So the point of this was so they got really bad cars. I thought there was a point to your story. Yes, you should have was. said at the beginning. Sorry, I should have. St- okay. Like the T1000 stabbing finger. There is, in fact, a point to this. Oh. Um, Thank you. Um, so Marek Asar, the producer, uh, was tearing his hair out about this ending and Cameron sort of went away and he had a look and he said, fine, let's just cut the ending off. So he said they had two days to kind of fix this problem. So he thought, well, what can I do? I've, I've got nothing. He said they literally didn't have time to shoot anything to go on the end. So he went back and looked at the rushes, thought, what the fuck can I use? And he said they had, I think it was eight seconds of rolling camera from when they took the cap off the lens to when the camera pans up to Cyberdyne. <laughs> so it literally is pre-roll from the sequences they're pulling into Cyberdyne, just the shot off the highway. Wow. And it was just the camera was rolling, getting up to speed, you know, they weren't doing anything with it. And so that's the only footage he could think of. So he thinks, right, if I get that, so he queued it up for eight seconds. He's like, right, I've got to write some shit that fits in eight seconds. 
So he literally, and it's so funny, but the way he said this, because, yeah, so I wrote some shit about the future and machine learned the value of human life. Brilliant. Slapped it in there, thought, eh, that's all right. Called up Linda Hamilton, got her to record it. They ISDN the audio down, slapped it on there. He goes, yeah, this works. And it's such a fucking good ending. And he literally shat it out in like an hour. And, and that's the ending of Terminator 2. And I just thought that was the best anecdote, the fact that he just... Yeah. Just cobbled this stuff together at the last minute. I love that there are loads of little lo-fi uh, solutions to stuff in yeah. this movie. Mm. Uh, that, you know, you guys will explain the stories about there. There are two uses of twins in this film. Yeah. One of which I really knew about because it's the same twins who show up in Gremlins Two, um, which is also a film starring Dean Norris as a SWAT. Uh, team leader. <laughs> I wonder character. if same it's the character. same character because I th- I think I'll have Norris to, first. Yeah. I'd have to restudy this <laughs> again, but I'm pretty sure he is the SWAT team leader. Dean Norris, Hank from Breaking Bad, is the SWAT team leader. He's the one who makes the first breach into Cyberdyne at the beginning of that sequence when uh, Miles Bennett Dyson is doing his. I don't think I can hold this, uh, which is also uh, part of Nick's slash fiction and. Um, <laughs> He's not holding a detonator. He's not holding a detonator. In the slash fiction. <laughs> That's for sure. And um, and so I'm pretty sure that Dean Norris is actually the guy who shoots uh, Miles Bennett Dyson mm. as well. He's mm. the one who puts the first bullet into him. And then uh, he plays a SWAT team leader in Gremlins 2. Yeah, and he I relocates to New York. Yeah, his ankle was fixed. <laughs> and then it all went wrong again. It was all good. Um, I had a point... They were twins, uh, twins. Twins, twins. Yes. Yeah. And so they're twins in that. And, uh, but they're also twins that people may not know are in the film. Yeah. Tell me about them. Well, Lin- Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton's Hamilton. twin, uh, mm. which I knew the name of. Other, other Hamilton. <laughs> and, uh, Not Linda. Linda she's, Hamilton. She's in two scenes. She's in the scene where the T-1000 pretends to be Sarah at the end, and she flips between the two. She is at various points, the real Sarah Connor and the T-1000, whichever one's furthest from the camera at any given point. Mm-hmm. And she's also, and this, was an, this is an amazing the innovative use of twins, when she is working on the Terminator's skull, when you see her in the mirror, it's not her in the mirror, it's her sister mimicking her movements. Ooh, so that's the, clever. So the camera's looking down at prosthetic Terminator head and the reflection, which isn't a reflection, it's just Arnie sitting in front of the prosthetic, that I is fucking that. genius. That's a sort of Roger Corman influence on yeah. Jim Cameron, Amazing. isn't it, really coming through. And yeah. 42 effect shots in a movie that mm-hmm. looks like this is pretty damn astonishing. Going back to your idea, though, that you, you think that you could take the five big action sequences from this movie and put them onto any... Blockbuster, any action movie being made today, and they would be better than what they have. This movie builds and builds and builds and builds, but it never gets that level of bombast for bombast's sake no. to me. And you're not blowing things up it's just anti-bay. for the hell of it. Absolutely. I think it's the yeah. simplicity as well of, of having the one villain and the one sort of hero, although obviously there are other heroes, but it's just the mano a mano kind of showdown element of just having these two forces of nature colliding and, in different situations. Yeah. And you look at Terminator 3, and that's a prime example of when they just think more is better. When actually it's just better is better. Yeah. yeah. You know, don't just throw stupid ideas and remote controlled helicopters around. But it's always very clear what's happening. It's always, you know, however big the action is, it's a chase. It's like mm. you're trying to get away from this thing that you can't. And, and also I think what's good about James Cameron is that it's not, it's not just about it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and something blows up and everything's fine. Something blows up and it's really big and everything is still not fine and they've still got to sort things out and actually it comes down to a big emotional beat, mm. not a gigantic explosion. And that's that's you know that's true of the previous film. That's true of Aliens. He 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 knows how to do this stuff. Mm. He but, knows how to hold back as well. I mean, yeah. we we get little hints of the the team one thousand all the way through the film. But that first shot, I remember, and you were right. The effects in this still hold up. They're amazing. And that first shot where he walks out of the wreckage of the truck, <laughs> uh, completely liquid metal, 
it just a, yeah Silver Surfer dude just astounded me and yeah. it's, it still does and there's stuff there's stuff that happens in this movie stuff with the T-1000 that is still absolutely extraordinary yeah some of the morphine effects I mean it, it, some of the morphine effects in movies that followed afterwards that went oh we want to do what they do just didn't work as well and this movie really holds for some reason I don't really know I why I think that's Cameron himself he knows effects he, you know, he understands the technology. He's also the guy who will absolutely push until you reach the utter outside limit of what you can do with the technology. Mm. And so he just keeps pushing and pushing. I'm convinced that's why he gets such good effects in all his films. Because mm. he pushes the studio for the money and the time, and he pushes the artists for the, the absolute best they can do. Yeah, don't underestimate how much of this gets done because Jim is terrifying. Yeah, I interviewed... He shouts at people. I interviewed Edward Furlong for a Terminator 2 piece I did once a few years back, and um, he remembered that on the first day of shooting Cameron gathered everyone together and said now we die plunge into hell <laughs> that was his that was his pep talk he's mellowed since then and, but, but uh, it's, yeah. it's not just his technical prowess and even his ambition it's that he's an incredibly emotional filmmaker and I think that's what makes his film stand head and shoulders above so many others that, and he always says this himself that every one of his films is a love story and this is very much a story about it's a parental love between a child and this kind of surrogate father figure and to a lesser extent mm. a sort of mother son thing but it's more about John and the Terminator that he this father figure that he's kind of mm. got and now who he eventually loses and the emotional component is very very powerful and mm. that final scene I mean on paper it's the cheesiest thing in the world like he gets the, the upraised thumb I mean Jesus Christ but it works so well and Brad Fidel's score at that particular point it gives you all the feels the music's amazing in this film. Someone yeah. asked, uh, and again, sorry, I didn't have any names written down, but someone asked, uh, have you ever not cried at the ending of Terminator 2? I've never cried at the end of Terminator 2, um, but I can see... I, I, <laughs> no, no, I cry, I, but it is something I can never do. I, I have never not cried. It's 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 up there with Wrath of Khan in terms of... Reli- really? And E.T. In terms of reliable sci-fi tears, yeah. Really? Yeah, I mean, well, it's not, wow. I don't quite cry as hard, quite yeah. as, hard as I do at Wrath Maybe of Khan. Maybe a single tear. Yeah. Just rolling silently down your cheek. Yeah, a single man's here. In the Brown's house. <laughs> Get out of my house! Your tears. Nick? I've not, I've not cried at this film. I've, I've not cried at this film. Maybe no. because he sort of comes back in all the sequels and, I don't know, it doesn't feel final, I guess. Um... I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I love the film. I just I don't get particularly emotional at the end. But, you monster. But the, I mean, the score Sorry. is fantastic all the way through, but at that particular point, it hits exactly the right note to elicit the feelings, I think. That yeah. kind of mournful synth as he's sort of going down mm-hmm. into it, and then the sort of percussive beat as he goes down. I think they um, they actually loop that line when he, um, when he says, you know, I cannot self-terminate, you must lower me into the steel. I think they added that because people were a little bit confused as to why he didn't just jump in. But um, yeah. I get pretty sad at the demise of Max, a.k.a. Wolfie. Oh, Wolfie. Mm. You, don't, you don't know Wolfie's dead. Well, isn't there a sort of... No, 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 he doesn't kill Wolfie. Am I misremembering this? Wolfie's just barking, and then they shut the... And then she, she kills Todd and shuts the door. Oh, okay. I think Wolfie's fine. Really? Oh, I thought Wolfie was dead as well, because the barking stops. The barking stops. They, they make a point like, of saying the barking stops. Yeah. yeah. Mm, nah, Wolfie it, it, is... I hate his to, name's I, Max. I hate to um, tell you, Max is a dead No, dead Max. Max is living on a farm no. upstate, and I will hear nothing else. <laughs> Max has oh, been terminated, goodness. I'm afraid to say. It's very, very sad indeed. Uh, there's so much to talk about this movie, and we don't have an awful lot of time, but uh, I will say that the controversial thing I was going to say a few minutes ago, uh, before I was so rudely interrupted by James Dyer uh, with his incredible facts, was the about the... If it was one thing I would change about this movie uh, I would get rid of the voiceover I feel it's intrusive I don't think it works necessarily 
Uh, I, I just watching it again recently, it just felt unnecessary. It felt superfluous to me, and the movie could have worked just fine without it. And it gives it gives Sarah Connor a weird kind of knowledge that I don't think she necessarily has. I, I like it actually. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you know once Kyle Reese has started telling her stuff, presumably he told her more stuff off camera, and she's like super knowledged up. He would, those, he would want to tell her as much as possible. But it's right? one of those weird things, like, for example, whenever they, uh, whenever she breaks into, when she tries to kill Miles Ben Dyson, and, you know, and then the, the, the Terminator and... Um, John. John, thank you. John turn up, and the Terminator's explaining to him about everything that's going to happen. And then voiceover kicks in, and it just feels a little unnecessary to me. I, I just... Oh, well, there okay, there's a, cu- there's like a couple that, of moments, fine, but, she, like, overall, I yeah. think it's really useful. In an insane world, it was the sanest truth. <laughs> I think it's good. I, I, I think like it's it. a good. I think it's good. Yeah. The dialogue is well written. It's hard boiled. It's it's yeah. cool. I like it. Do you think uh, where would you do? Where would you stand on the Sarah Connor uh, justice scale if you could kill the man who would likely bring about the end of the world? Would you do it? I feel she dialed it up to ten immediately. Surely your first port of call is go and have a cup of tea with him and explain that he's responsible for the end of the world. And if he seems like he's a nice guy, maybe help him. And if not, shoot him in the face. But I think you know <laughs> that's your policy on everything. But what I'm saying you? is, she went straight to shoot him in the face, and that seems like a little bit of, of, See, of that an overstatement. Is, uh, you are the last person I would have expected to actually take that view. Um, I mean, look, this is this is a question I feel like we've all been asking ourselves recently in the world, isn't it? You well, know. Since we got the Empire time machine. If yeah. we had a time machine, like who would we go back and kill as a baby? I mean, I think I think it's crossed everybody's mind, hasn't it? In the last year or so. Helen the baby murderer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hey, this I, has gone dark. The Emperor podcast can, is not of Helen O'Hara. You can you can check the time machine records in the office. I haven't used it. It's fine. All the babies are fine. Hey, hey this has been tipexed out. Uh, this is <laughs> so weird. Using futuristic tipex. So you you would do it, Helen. You would you would absolutely just you know. No, I would sit down and have a cup of tea first. But James stole my thunder. I couldn't do it because it's Joe Morton and he's a he's a lovely he's, guy. He's, great. he's, yeah, he's evil great. as hell and scandal. Yeah, he is. What's up with that? Yeah, if it was scandal, ah! Joe Morton, you shoot him in the face. Yeah. Oh, Joe. Um, also, I, I love the I love the Hoover's he invented uh, the vacuum cleaners, and I love Lou's little dryers in the toilet. Seat I'd ask him if well. I could borrow the little remote control car. <laughs> And then I'd go off and play with that for a Could I just say cool. the his wife in the movie is played by S. Apatha Merkerson, who of course went on to star in Law and Order as well. So good, uh, good bit of trivia. Thank you. Uh, you're um, not the only one that can that can drop the Terminator Two trivia, <laughs> my friend. Stop term explaining. Let's uh, <laughs> let's talk humor. I I think humor, humor in particular. I know now why you laugh, but <laughs> it is something right. I can never do. I think the humor works really well, whether it be the high five or the the Terminator, the T one thousand doing the kind of double take on the silver mannequin. You know, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. you know, actually, the gun coming through the bars. There's so many lovely little grace notes, which are genuinely funny. I think my favourite. Sorry. The problem with a lot of the humour, though, is that that was what was um, played on over and over again for like the last 25 years. Mm. Um, so, you know, the Astro La Vista babies and all of that kind of yeah. stuff was just. But wrong was, you have to go back to it after yeah. a long absence to kind of get that but the thing is looking at this sort of pre-Arnold becoming slightly more spoofy more comedy-ish you know this was genuinely you were taking an actor who wasn't 
comedy act. You were taking, you know, a, a character who was not in any way funny and introducing that humour. And I think now it's lost its power because the t- I mean that you know the the sunglasses scene in Terminator Three, which oh, just makes you want to awful. vomit. Yeah, you know, things like that ruin this. But this was a really subtle way of introducing humanity and humour to that character. I don't think it's I don't think it's it's laden with humour. I think it's a very very dark sombre film as we it's talked very about. Subtle, the humor um, very it's subtle. very very subtle indeed, and they they don't really make a huge play of it. I think probably my favourite. I don't even know if this is a gag, but I just love the reaction of Earl Bowen's <laughs> Dr. Silberman when he sees the T-1000 go the through. cat falls out of his mouth. Yeah, and the yeah. cat falls. And you just think, whoa, that's going to screw that guy up for years. <laughs> yeah. And I've always liked that character. I really liked him in the Terminator, and I was glad to see him back for Terminator 2. I kind of, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the sequels in a minute. In a minute. But uh, I just thought it was a really, really nice little moment. And what I'm thinking now on reflection is probably my, my favourite sequence. That, that entire sequence mm, is just... Yeah. Absolutely amazing. You know, the, from Douglas, the really creepy, rapey yeah. orderly. To, oh, Douglas. Yeah. Uh, and just the way she like goes faux catatonic and she's always thinking, she's got her plan, she's going to get out. Uh, you know, I, I love the fact that they come to rescue her and she didn't, she didn't need rescue me at all. You know what, she was all over it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think she was getting out though. Well, I think I think she maybe reached the end of her road. Perhaps. I've got, I've got that sneaky suspicion. But just, and then obviously the T-1000 running after the car and the way that Brad Fiedel, his music <laughs> kicks in. Dun-dun-dun-dun. It's so good, and yeah, my favorite sequence sequence. is the is the chase at the end, though. Just the fact they change vehicles, everyone changes vehicles like (laughs) midway through it. It's just the coolest like beat. I can't think of another movie thing where everyone just gets out of the cars and gets into a new one. It has one of the lines that I quote most often. Weirdly enough, that chase at the end. I I always say this when I'm driving. This is a vehicle's top speed. I always, I always say that. And that's in a twenty mile per hour zone. Twenty right? mile per hour zone. <laughs> vehicle's top speed. Um, what is your favourite moment? <sighs> I think probably getting married was great. It's uh, very nice of you to ask. Um, oh, you mean the movie? Yes. In the movie. Um, Good question. Helen. <laughs> oh, oh, straight. Uh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we're doing well here. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's, on, like, in terms of a, a very specific. Like, like a beat. A beat is, for me, the reload. You know, the 1887 oh. Winchester. The kind of whipping it around, spinning it over reload. Because they enlarged the grip for his, for his big sausage fingers um, <laughs> so that he could do it. And he still, I think, mangled his hand. He tore his hand up doing that as well. Because um, he had to do that and keep his eye on the road because he couldn't look down and do it. You know, it was a very difficult thing to it's do. It's a hell of a reload. Uh, it's but an that's amazing reload. So cool! It's effortlessly cool. I'm not a big John Connor fan, so I'm going to automatically disqualify pretty much anything Edward yeah. Furlong does in this movie. He's fine in the film; he's okay, but he is a bit of a brat too. Mm. You know, as he told me in our interview, being John Connor got me crap loads of pussy. Wow! Yeah, you know what? There is here's, here's a trivia question for you, Nick. I'm going to test your John Connor oh, trivia. There is only one line of dialogue in that film from. John Connor that isn't looped. What is it? Because his voice where he, has, where he has a high pitched voice. Yeah, there's only one line because Cameron liked the reaction so much he didn't want to change it. I got a feeling you're going to tell us all. Uh, it's when the Terminator sees him crying in the back seat. It's his reaction to that. What's he say? Oh, okay. He says, oh, you, you didn't know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> what? It doesn't matter. I hate you. Um, yeah. Oh, I, for me, I, it's probably there are too many, but probably the bit where the to get hundreds at Cyberdyne and it gets the minigun out and just unloads on all the cops and just blows everything up. Oh, it's yeah. such a great moment of wanton destruction. <laughs> yeah, it's so unnecessary. And then the grenade launcher as oh, well. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think actually that's it. When he puts that down and then gets the grenade launcher, <laughs> it's like, you've done it already. And it just blows all the cars up. It's yeah. awesome. That is amazing. I, 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 I love the tragedy of Miles Bennett Dayton's death. I, I love the way that Joe Morton plays that. Mm. With the... 
don't know how much longer I can. Breath just slowing down, and then all hell breaks loose. It's great, great death scene. And uh, but I think probably. The moment that really springs to mind for me is probably a T-1000 moment for some reason. I don't know why. But it's either say, that's a nice bike. Yeah, just because the way he pronounces bike. That's a nice bike. 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 It's just the weirdest way to say bike ever. And then there's... Bike. And then there's the bit at the end where he's, you know, call John, call to John now. And we were talking to Robert Patrick about this and he completely rejected our theory. But my theory was that he was becoming more human and more sadistic and he was learning more things and he was beginning to torture someone and take pleasure in that. No. No. <laughs> also, I love that's that another scene that makes no sense because he could call to John because he can mimic anyone's voice. Well, so we decided. <laughs> a, he um, wouldn't be able to come through the time machine. <laughs> B, Helen has pointed out the time machine, the time mechanics of this make no sense whatsoever. And and C, he can do a really good impression. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I rubbish. my favorite moment I've just decided is um, is the two Sarah Connors. Is the two Sarah Connors oh, yeah. both crawling to John? Classic. I think that's yeah, it's a classic, but it works for mm. a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really good. Mm. We do have to. Which wrap has up. been used, kind of recycled, I guess, in the X Men films with Mystique. That, yes. That kind of. How do I know you're the real Wolverine? Exactly. You're a dick. You're a dick. Okay. <laughs> i got to say, just very quickly, the death scene of the T-1000 is amazing. And obviously, I think Return of the King, when Gollum dies, I think that that is heavily kind of Because it goes through all the different yeah. forms. But yeah, it's when thrashing. he cycles yeah. back through all the different... That's just such a cool moment. But it's a, it's a good point, isn't it? Because that could have easily been an anticlimax. It falls in there, it dissolves in there. But they make a real meal out of it. And the yeah. screaming and the, how that animalistic sound it if makes. You feel, yeah, you feel like it's feeling stuff. Mm. It's not just a... And I love the fight, like the physicality of the fight between the two Terminators, particularly in that scene, yeah. uh, where you really feel that the T-1000 is throwing him around. And that wonderful bit where he goes mm. face first into the wall and then his face comes out the back oh, of his head and he reverses himself. That's my favourite yes. that's amazing. shot. That's my favourite shot in the movie. That... Still to this day, it's like the scene in Contact where she runs towards the mirror and then it's revealed that we're in the mirror. Oh, mm. oh my God, what the hell? How did they do that? Yeah, uh, That's that's pretty astonishing. It's a great I moment. love that. Um, we're going to wrap this up, but uh, there's a couple of quick questions I want to run through. So, at uh, Tarek Ashkanani on Twitter asks, what was up with Wolfie? Well, I think it's established in Terminator 1, am I correct? Right. That uh, dogs can spot Terminators. Or don't like them. They, they don't like them, mm-hmm. and they, they, they were used to detect Terminators. Uncanny and Valley. Park. Yeah. Dogs not, do not approve. And I imagine that extends to T-1000s, even with their perfect replication of skin. Um, John Rabbit, Sup Joey, Joey Rabbit, sorry, Sup Joey says, has a post-Cameron franchise retroactively tarnished T2? We talked about this recently in a, in a more general podcast question, but I think you just have to make a decision in your own mind to ignore the ones you don't like. Uh, or sometimes ignore the bits of the ones you don't like, but just, you know, just try to separate them completely. Are they worthy of these two films? No, they are not. Does that mean <laughs> these two films are not worthy in themselves? No, it does not. I think you you have to. I mean, it's the same thing with Aliens, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It, that franchise has been ruined by shit films as well. But you, that doesn't take away from what Alien is or what Aliens is. But it's been interesting when and if Cameron returns this franchise, what he then does, because the rights revert to him in 2019, but only the US domestic rights mm. uh, because it's US copyright law. And he has. I mean, I asked him about it, and he did say that he would consider doing something, and he would do it. Probably with Arnold, he doesn't. He said he didn't want to explore this space without having Arnold in some way there, even if he's not a principal character, just having mm. his influence in there somewhere. That said, I don't know that he'd direct it because he's doing fifteen Avatar films. So, <laughs> uh, when would he find this? Time? Crossover. 
Yeah. Oh, he doesn't. Avatar versus send Terminator. Send the Terminator to Pandora. <laughs> he doesn't need to sleep anymore. That's why Quaritch is back in Avatar 2. Oh, He's a Terminator. High-protein vegan diet ensures that. It's all good. Um, we should just very quickly talk about Arnold, who is, I think, genuinely... I Listen, I genuinely think that Arnold Schwarzenegger is, under the right circumstances and with the right direct and right material, a good actor. And I feel that, that he is hamstrung by people's re- reaction to his physicality and to what he was before he became an actor and to that voice, quite frankly. But I feel that Cameron in particular gets really good performances out of him. He's mm-hmm. genuinely good in True Lies yeah. and he's really good in this movie as well. And in Perfect. Predator, he's fantastic in Predator. His eye work in Predator, I've said this before, his eye work in Predator at the end, the one-on-one stuff with the, the Predator, mm. is really, really good. But there's a certain sort of clumsiness to the T-800 in this film which they tap into and I'm not saying Arnie is clumsy but he, he's able to play that very well. He's yeah. kind of standing around and he's a bit out of, you know, His physicality out of really works for the, for the character. I mm. really like, I like him a lot. And he's sl- a bit slower and bulkier and it's the perfect mm. role for him, I think. I really want to watch True Lies now. This is... <laughs> Maybe that'll be our next retro spoiler special. <laughs> Please do a True Lies spoiler special. I'd love that. Well, if, if enough people write in, i.e. three, if three people write in, then yes, we will do a True Lies uh, spoiler special as well. Uh, right, I feel we should wrap this up. We could talk about this film for a long, long time, but we do have to record this week's podcast. So on we go. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, that is it for our Terminator 2 Judgment Day retro spoiler special, or whatever the hell you want to call it. We'll come up with a name for them in due course, I'm sure. Uh, thank you so much for listening. It's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. It's goodbye. Or should, should, you know what? So it's Hasta we... La Fiesta from Helen O'Hara, oh, surely. Okay. Hasta oh, La Fiesta we, yeah. from Helen O'Hara. Hasta La Vista. Hasta La Vista from Nick Desemlian. Stop listening if you want to live. <laughs> it's Hasta La Fiesta from James Dyer. Wait here. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, uh, and it's Hasta La Fiesta from me. I don't know how much longer I can. Chris, this is a family podcast. This. Oh, God. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.